I'm going to take you into my conference this morning. And I'm going to tell you about one of the worst things I've ever done. It surrounds the uh, first date I ever had with my wife. But I hasten to add, that's not one of the worst things I've ever done. That's one of the best things I've ever done. But it surrounds uh, our first date. We met at Scripture Union Camp. I was the assistant camp leader. She was the cook. It was always my policy to make friends with the cook. You might say marrying the cook was taking it just a wee bit far, but I did. And I remember as, as she left that camp thinking, well, I, I do remember prior to that, the first time I ever saw her, two thoughts went through my mind simultaneously. Uh, the first was, she's gorgeous. And the second was, forget it, Tarrant, you've got no chance. And I remember that after that camp, we uh, exchanged letters. And I had said to her, as she was ever passing through Glasgow, that uh, she should, you know, give me a call and I would take her for lunch, never believing that she would. But she wrote back and said, yes, she would be passing through, and uh, yes, she would like to meet me. Wonderful, I thought. So I phoned her up and I said, uh, which part of Glasgow are you staying in? And she said, Edinburgh. (laughs) I thought. I hasten to add that she has many stories she could tell about me. And I thought, well, next, next question is, where should I take her? Now, this next part is going to date me incredibly, but at that time, uh, the Glasgow Garden Festival was in full bloom. And I thought, that's the very thing. That's what I'll take her. So I did. Picked her up at Queen Street Station. Took her to the Garden Festival. But the problem with the Garden Festival site was the parking. But again, young and full of confidence, I knew the answer. You see, the church, of which I was a member, Harper Memorial at that time, it was right next to the Garden Festival site, and I had a private car park. So I thought, well, this is going to impress her. So I said, well, you know, there are problems with the parking, but uh, don't worry, I know this private car park, we'll park there. And so we did, drove in, parked car right outside the church door, went off, had a fantastic day at the Garden Festival. But it was only on our return that I realized my mistake. You see, that day at our church, there had been a wedding. And I had parked my car right outside the door of the church. And as we returned, some of the ladies of the church were just sweeping up the last fragments of confetti. And they caught sight of me And suffice to say, I still bear the scars (laughs) of the daggers that were drawn that day. So I took my wife back to Queen Street Station and she went back to the suburbs, you know. But it only gets worse, you see, because I must have been so besotted with her that I didn't realize or had forgotten at any rate that I had been invited to the evening reception of this wedding. And so, with fear and trepidation, I went along to this wedding reception with only one thought in my mind. There was only one person that I had to see that day. One person whose forgiveness I had to seek 
And that, of course, is the most important person in a wedding. That's a bride. When I arrived at the wedding reception, I was one scared dude. And I went in and I saw Liz, the bride, and I said, Liz, I am so sorry. And she just gave me a big hug and said, don't, don't even think about it. And I still remember the feeling of relief and forgiveness that I experienced that day in the face of such kindness and grace and forgiveness. Do you know I believe that that story illustrates something very important that the Bible teaches us? That number one, sin, although it has a ripple effect, and although sin affects others, do you know that the Bible tells us that sin is primarily an offence against God? Therefore, only God can forgive sin. But, when He forgives sin, He forgives perfectly. Sin is primarily an offence against God. Therefore, only God can forgive sin. But when He forgives, He forgives perfectly. Psalm 51 was a psalm written after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And listen to what David says. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned, O Lord, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now we might say to David, Now hang on, David. Is that really right? You have sinned against Bathsheba. You have exploited your power to seduce this woman. You have sinned against her husband Uriah. You are complicit in his murder. But David has this clear perspective on sin. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And here the psalmist says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. But before we go on with this psalm, let me just present to you, pose before you one question. When you read Psalm 130, where does it take you? Do you, when you read a psalm like this, immediately begin to think about yourself? Because I really believe that when a psalm like this impacts upon us, I really believe that when we discover the the greatness of our God and of His forgiving nature, where, where should it lead us? I believe that it should lead us to the place of worship. That God who is beyond any conception of holiness that we have should forgive us and should forgive us perfectly in Christ is absolutely wonderful. The psalmist in another place framed it well. He said, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins, and who heals all your diseases. 
who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. As we were saying with the children earlier, as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our transgressions, our sins from us. So in this psalm, we're going to trace the journey of the psalmist from the depths of despair to the dawn of grace and of forgiveness. There are many things in our lives that can make us plummet emotionally. Personality type. Circumstances. Illness, whether that's physical or mental illness. Spiritual oppression. But here, quite clearly in this Psalm, Psalm 130, the problem is staring us in the face. The problem is the problem of sin. And the major thing about sin is this, that it separates. This is what sin does. We know this in our personal relationships. Sin is corrosive to personal relationship. But the Bible tells us that sin not only separates person from person, but it separates us from God. Genesis chapter 3, that seminal moment where we are told that the Lord is walking in the cool of the day and he calls out, Adam, where are you? Is a statement or a question that is absolutely laden with meaning. The Lord knew fine well where Adam was. But where was Adam? He was separated from God. Because that's what sin does, you see. And here in this psalm, Psalm 130, we find a similar circumstance. Where is the psalmist calling to God from? He's calling to God from where? From the depths. He feels in his heart a distance from God. If uh, he had to choose a hymn this morning, it would be this. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his words? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. In his heart, this man feels this great distance from God. And he feels it deeply. I wonder, is that your story this morning? Have you been chasing after the trinkets and baubles of this world? Perhaps you once professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but now you know in your heart you're far away from Him. You're where the psalmist finds himself at this point. You're in the depths. There is a distance between you and God. And if you're honest before Him this morning, you know it fine well. The need for you, my friend, is to do what the psalmist did and to close the distance. What had the psalmist done? Well, we don't know. And in some measure, it doesn't really matter what he has done. But whatever has happened, something has taken him away from that nearness of the sense of the presence of God. Perhaps it had been a sudden sin. Perhaps it had been a gradual killing. So often that happens, especially in evangelical churches like ours. It's possible to go along month after month 
year after year on what can only be described as automatic pilot. Going through the motions. And yet there is that distance between us and God. But you know, even in the depths, the psalmist knew that he was blessed. Two men walking separately towards a cliff in the fog. One man knows that there is a precipice, the other doesn't. Which is more blessed? And here the psalmist is blessed because he sees the precipice and he draws back from it. I want to say to you this morning, maybe you're a Christian, but in truth you've just lost the plot in terms of your relationship with God. To know the way back is to be blessed above all measure. You may not be a Christian this morning. And perhaps even as I speak you say, well I'm sorry Jim, you're just not connecting with me where I am just now. Let me tell you, that restlessness that you feel in your soul this morning, that restlessness that causes this frantic activity in your life is caused by the fact that you are made in the image of God and you will never be happy and satisfied until you have a close relationship with God. You see, this is where this psalm takes us. It takes us to the core of who God is and what he is about. God exists in a perfection of community called Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that perfection of love, He has reached out to His creation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that the gap might be closed and relationship restored. The psalmist here has what we might say is a recognition of reality. He says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who could confidently stand before you, Lord? And of course the answer is no one. Neither in the pulpit, nor in the pew. And so he cries to God. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. He comes before the Lord with a a plea for mercy. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And my dear friend, if that's where you find yourself just now, this is what you need to do in order that the gap might be closed. But the psalmist goes from the depths to the dawn. Don't miss the point of this psalm. It's not a counsel of despair. It is a message of tremendous hope for those in the depths. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Out of the depths, I cry to you, says the psalmist. But he comes to the place of dawn. Do you know, I sometimes, when we're doing our reading and preparation for sermons and so forth, we we come across, uh, those who are pastors and preachers, come across Perhaps those who who comment on the vengeful God of the Old Testament. Now when people speak like that, it's simply uh, revealing that they don't understand the holiness of God. But here is a revelation of the God of love. The God who desires to, to draw us into a relationship with himself. Here is the revealed desire of a holy God to be reconciled. To sinners. But, says the psalmist, 
With you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Do you know, as the pilgrims approached Jerusalem, as they recited these psalms, they would have been reminded of the word of the Lord. You see, as they come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, as they come to Jerusalem, they would be coming uh, to make sacrifice in God's appointed way. God had explained to them in detail how exactly they were to come before Him. And sin and sacrifice were forever linked in the Hebrew psyche. And so as they come to worship God, there would have been these themes of sin and the need for sacrifice in their minds. But they knew, if they came in God's appointed way, that they would be heard. And so there is a waiting for the revelation of God. And you will notice in this psalm that the psalmist goes from this introverted, self-seeking depths of despair experience to the heights of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness. There is not only a personal waiting for the Lord, but there is also a communal waiting as they look for the mercy and the forgiveness of God to be revealed. This is their expectation. The God that they worshipped wasn't the, the fickle God of the pagans. He was the God of grace, and of mercy, and of love. This is our God. But now I want you to step maybe as much as 800, 900 years forward to a house in Galilee and some friends have brought their friend and they've lowered him down into the room where the Lord Jesus Christ is and if you want to turn and, and read this with me it's in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 Luke's Gospel chapter 5 and just picking up the reading around verse 20 now please remember what I said to you at the beginning about forgiveness that sin is what? Sin is primarily an offence against God. Secondly, therefore, only God can forgive sin. But thirdly, when He forgives, He forgives perfectly. Now let's pick up the story. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, He said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. 
sin is primarily an offence against God. Therefore, only God can forgive sin. And in Jesus Christ, we see the perfection of God revealed, who has the authority to forgive sin. Peter says in his epistle, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherds and overseer of your souls. The Bible tells us that upon the cross Jesus paid the price so that when we come to him We have the confidence that he has the authority to forgive. And that when he forgives, he forgives perfectly. And in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to see that gap closed with God. And so I wonder, my friend, are you in a dark place today? Do you need to discover the dawn of God's forgiveness and mercy, then like the psalmist, I urge you, call out in sincerity and he will hear and he will answer. I often go back to that incident at that wedding. I'm glad to tell you that Liz and Steve and I are still friends because I was shown such grace. Oh, you know, she could have said a thousand things to me that day. She could have said, you moron. How could you have been so thoughtless? But she didn't. Such grace. She's probably still got some wedding photographs of a blue escort in her album. But she, she showed such grace to me and I've never forgotten that. And folks, when we are truly forgiven, when we are truly absolved of our sins, it is something that we never ever forget. And it is something that affects our lives from there on in. The God who forgets. Sin is an offence against God. Therefore, only God can forgive sin. But when He forgives, He forgives perfectly. And in closing, let me say this. I think perhaps the classic example of Jesus forgiving sins would be the woman caught in adultery in John's Gospel, chapter 8, where she is cruelly and brutally brought before that group of men and used as a test case. The law of Moses says she should be stoned, they said to him. But we're told in John's Gospel that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. And he stood down once more and he continued to write. Michael Card, the Christian singer, in one of his songs says this, the same finger of the strong hand that had written ten commands 
for now we're simply scribbling in the sand. I wonder what he wrote. That picture of law and grace. And then after a while, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. My friend, God can forgive you perfectly today. On account of his son Jesus, who bore the sin of all who would come to him. And your experience of death can be transformed to dawn by the grace of God. Let's bow our heads together and pray.